Let's take a moment and we'll pray together just before we open God's word and see what it has to say. Heavenly Father, just ask that you be with me this morning as I open your word. Lord, help your word to speak to our hearts. We pray that it will bring about a change in our lives. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of our sermon today is Complaining, a Quarrel with God. You might ask, why is Pastor James going to let go with a fiery sermon about complaining while Pastor Greg's away? Well, here's why. Um, Of course, Pastor Greg is gone this week. I didn't mention that, but you guys probably already figured that out. So, but here's why I'm going to preach about complaining while Pastor Greg's away. Uh, Early this summer, as a part of my continuing seminary education, I took a preaching seminar class, and it was focused primarily on the book of Numbers. The design of the class was to help, help pastors preach Old Testament narratives to our New Testament churches. So that's what the goal was to, to teach us in a, wide, <clears throat> in a wider way. Now, does that mean you should put your pens and your notebooks away and turn off yours? No. The class required that I put together two sermons, and they be, had to be from the book of Numbers, and they are designed to be beneficial to our church family. So it's not designed just to make a grade for the seminary class. But the lessons about murmuring and complaining for us, are needed. we need to hear them repeatedly. And that's because it's all too easy for us to open our mouths and have complaints fall out. So simply put, a complaint is a statement that a situation is unsatisfactory or unacceptable. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of interpretation in that, isn't there? For whoever is opening their mouth to say a complaint or a statement in general, whether or not it's a complaint. When I was a police officer, after we would arrest someone, we had to write up a formal complaint. We actually called it the complaint form or the state form. And it was about, we had to write a little paragraph that said how this person violated the law when you think about it, we are actually complaining to the state that this particular person broke the law. So we are filing a formal complaint with the state. Now, that complaint would stay with the prisoner, and that would be the reason that the jail was going to keep him or her in it until they could be seen by a magistrate or until they bonded out. When we filled out that form, it was very important for us to make sure that we had all of our facts straight and that You wanted it to be spelled well. You wanted it to be clearly communicated uh, because that was going to follow that person through the court system. The next people to see it would be the county attorney's office. And uh, so it's just important to make sure everything was right, right on. When I started, we would write the complaints in, in ink with an ink pen. Can you imagine that? And as I was an officer, then we kind of merged over to having a computer and we could type them up on the computer, which was a lot easier for editing. I had to, I would kind of write out an outline of the things that I wanted to say. So that way, when I started that pen moving, I didn't have to do it 14 times on different forms. But it was important for you to to have all your facts and everything just right, because that was going to be an important piece of paper. The hope was that when the county attorney's office saw it and all the other powers that be, that they would think, okay, this is a worthy complaint. This is something that is good enough for us to say, yep, you broke the law and now we need to take some steps to to take care of this problem. 
So as I was working on my sermon this week, I thought if we had to write down all of the facts beforehand, well thought out, and make sure we had everything just right, would that make us think a little bit more before we opened our mouths to complain? Sometimes you might think, as I write, you know, is this actually that big of a deal? Do I really need to make a complaint about this? What if we had to stand in court and back up the reasons for our complaint? We had to explain everything that we had written down as our complaint. As God listens to and reviews this complaint, would he think it's worthy? Would that slow us down? I know it would slow me down. Jesus does tell us that one day we will give an account for everything that we say. Matthew 12, 35 through 37 says this, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. As mentioned earlier, there's a lot of latitude in that definition that I gave you for a complaint, a statement that a situation is unsatisfactory or unacceptable. Everyone has his or her own idea about what is unsatisfactory or unacceptable, right? You could, I could ask every one of you, and some might be similar, but everybody does have their own idea. As Christians, we don't have as much latitude in this as we might hope. Murmuring and complaining as I mentioned earlier, is one of the themes running through the book of Numbers. So that's what, that's what we're after today. And we're going to take some time to look at the passages where the Israelites got into trouble for their murmuring and complaining. I didn't really realize this before I started into this class, but there are a bunch of situations where the Israelites were complaining in the book of Numbers. And it, it is really a theme that does run through the book. And you know, those things aren't there by mistake. God had something for us to learn through that process. So we're going to try to take a look at a few of them. And I hope that we can generate a clear picture that complaining is not only, listen to th for these keywords again, complaining is not only unsatisfactory with God, it's unacceptable with God. This is demonstrated by God's response to each one of these circumstances that lights put themselves into. We can learn a lot from the Israelites from their complaining. But I also want to learn, I want us to learn about Moses' response to these complaints as they came in too, because we have a lot that we can learn from Moses in this. He was the leader of the Israelites, of course, and he was also a mediator between the Israelites and God. Most of us have some way in which we lead others, and during that process of leading, we may receive complaints, whether that's in your home, whether it's at school, your workplace. There are different ways that you serve in church and you may receive complaints in that capacity. But for you as a leader, someone who shepherds people in your life, you have some important things that you can learn from Moses' response to them too. So our big idea today is a complaining spirit focuses on self. Thankfulness and contentment glorify God. A complaining spirit fo focuses on self. Thankfulness and contentment glorify God. As you turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 11, Numbers chapter 11 is the first section here that we're going to look at. And just to let you know, we're going to be reading some of these chunks of narrative, so uh, you can just hang on and, and enjoy the ride. 
But uh, Numbers 11, I want to get you up to speed kind of where we're at with the Israelites. Of course, Exodus happened right before God delivered them out of Egypt. They, had, they were in bondage there. Uh, of course, we had the whole circumstance with Pharaoh's heart and how he did not want to let those Israelites go. But God, through the plagues, worked in such a way that after the death of the firstborn sons, they're like, all right, get out of here. And then they changed their mind, right? The Egyptians changed their mind. They chased them down. But anyway, we've seen God work in miraculous ways. And then the first part of Numbers is talking about numbering the people. Um, there's lots of things about the, the tabernacle and some of the laws that they're supposed to abide by. But anyway, that tells you where we're at with Numbers 11, okay? So let's take a look at Numbers 11. Point one is this. Complaining forgets the provision of the past. Complaining forgets the provision of the past. All right, look at uh, Numbers 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. You see here that misfortune is what they were complaining about, right? Their misfortunes. You know the, the saying, one man's junk is another man's treasure? I would say that one man's misfortune is another man's fortune, right? It all depends on how you look at it. It's a matter of perspective. Misfortune is in the eye of the beholder. The Israelites thought that they were having a terribly misfortunate time. Let's talk about the misfortunes that they'd actually experienced in Egypt, shall we? They were slaves. They had to do hard physical labor all day long, every day. They encountered abuse. We saw situations of that. And we also know that they experienced infanticide where they, they had to kill off the boys that were born of, their, of, the, of the, the babies. So that sounds like, that sounds pretty misfortunate, doesn't it? Okay. Well, misfortune is looking at our circumstances through a negative lens. So they were, they were forgetting about all the bad things that had gone on. And now they're thinking that this, we're really in a misfortunate situation. The other point to look at here is that they complained in the hearing of the Lord. God hears our complaining, and it doesn't just stop with the other person's ears that we're talking to. God hears our complaining, and this is what caused God's anger to be kindled. Fire consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Take a look at verse 2 with me. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. The, the fire stayed on the outlying parts of the camp, which was a form of God's mercy. It's sort of like a warning that, hey, this is, you guys are out of line, and this is not okay. God heard Moses' prayers. But look at how Moses led through this. The people were complaining, and Moses still prayed for them because that's what they needed. So God relented. He showed his mercy, and the fire died down. We're going to step into the next situation, okay? This is just a... It's, right along in the same passage, but it's another occurrence of complaining from the people. Look at verses four through six with me, please. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. It says the rabble was craving meat. So in this circumstance, 
The complaints started with rabble, and it grew from there. They only remembered the fish, all the other things that they mentioned from Egypt, and they called it free food, right? Would you call it free food? I don't think so. Uh, The problem is, guys, we are discontent with what God provides, and we want something else that we think is better. So the problem here was their discontentment with what God had provided. It just goes to show, as we, as we mentioned before, we remember the things that we want to, and we forget to see how God has provided right now in our current circumstance. Let's continue. Verses 7 through 9. Um, I'm not going to read this for you, but it talks about manna and its various recipes, or might I say its serving suggestions. Okay, so they have several different ways they're going to make manna, but we all know that after you look at some food for a while, it, it kind of gets old. We, we get tired of looking at it, okay? Maybe you make a big pot of soup on Sunday afternoon. By Wednesday, when you've had your 12th bowl of it, you're kind of like, I'm ready for this to just kind of be done with. Um, maybe you've made a quadruple batch of goulash for the football team, and they don't end up showing up. So you eat goulash for three weeks straight. You're like, I feel like complaining about this goulash. But the bottom line is for the Israelites, their needs were met. Their needs were met in the wilderness, and discontentment ruled their hearts. The people merely had to harvest the manna, and that seems like it's a lot better. That seems more fortunate than having to work all day, every day for your meal. And you have to track down straw and mud to make the bricks, And of course, that's all at the end of a whip. So they were discontent with what God had provided in their life. Let's discuss Moses' frustration. Verse 10, look at 11, verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. All right, everyone was at the door of their tent ready to complain. So think about Moses trying to walk through through camp to do whatever he needs to do. And every tent has somebody standing at the front door ready to explain to Moses what's terrible about their situation. That would get pretty old. It was obviously old. God's anger blazed hotly and Moses was displeased. You know, you think about uh, Moses' circumstance, how it would be much different than You know, when uh, the president shows up at a campaign rally and everybody wants to shake his hand, give him a high five, maybe get a hug, ask him to kiss their baby, all of these things make it really exciting for the leader to walk through. It was not the way for Moses. This is more like people peppering somebody with, or a politician with questions. Like, what are you going to do about illegal immigration? What are you going to do about high taxes? What are you going to do about high gas prices? What are you going to do about dolphins getting stuck in fishing nets? Take a look with me, if you would, at verses 11 through 15. Verses 11 through 15. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you lay the burden of these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me? Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers. Where am I to get meat to give all these people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. 
If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. So what's happened? This, this complaint and stuff started with the rabble. It's worked its way all the way to the top now. And what's happened? Moses has lost sight of God's goodness and all the amazing ways that God has provided for them and how he's brought them out of the trouble from Egypt. This is after he's listened to all the complaints of the people. Moses told God his trouble, mixed with some complaint and some forgetfulness, right? But also God answered his plea for help. We'll see it in a little bit, a little bit later in the passage. I'm not going to cover that, but God established 70 elders to help disperse the weight of this responsibility that Moses had. We've got a miracle of meat that happens here. Uh, take a look at verses 18 through 20 for me. Verses 18 through 20. And say to the people, so this is God talking to Moses, and say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Hear that again, the hearing of the Lord. Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day, or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we come out of Egypt? All right, so verse 20 tells us one of the things here that is one of the keys to the problem with complaining. You have rejected the Lord. Verse 20 says, you have rejected the Lord. What you have done is rejected the Lord and you're complaining and you're grumbling. We'll continue to see Moses' learning process. Moses' learning process as the leader here in verses 21 through 23. So take a look at that with me if you would. But Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot, and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish in the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall not see whether my now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Moses needed to remember who God was. In the whole process of all this complaining, Moses had forgotten who God was and what he was capable of and what he brought them through. Moses accepted the premise of the complainers, and that was that God isn't able to take care of our needs. Uh, look at 31 through 33, verses 31 through 33 of chapter 11. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground, and the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered the least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. All right, so it says the least, the people who gathered the least gathered ten homers. I'm not sure the last time that you measured something in a homer, but this would be approximately 60 bushels of birds. Okay, so the person who gathered the least gathered 60 bushels of birds. All right, if you pile a bunch of, of birds into a bushel basket, you know, there'd be some 
feathers and some wings and stuff, some beaks that you wouldn't eat. But we're talking a lot of meat, right? So the anger of the Lord was kindled because of this. The people were struck with a great plague. Uh, verse 34 tells us that they named the place Kibroth Hatava, which literally means the graves of craving. Their craving is what led them to the grave. Before we move on to our next point, it's important for us to remember, it's easy for us to look back at times in the past and see all the good that it was, and we think how much greener the pastures were at that time. We have to be thankful for God's provision for today and not always longing for what we've had in the past or what we don't have today. The people got what they wanted. They got too much meat, right? They, they were, it became loathsome to them, just like uh, God said it would. It's a blessing that God doesn't give us what we think we need or the things that we want. Sometimes when we have our desires fulfilled, it ends up ruining us. This may lead us to the point where we think we don't need God. The attitude of discontentment is very contagious. The rabble is where the complaint started, and it worked its way clear to the top. This is demonstrated by Moses' hopeless attitude. Leadership with an attitude of hopelessness can be the fruit of the seeds of complaint. Now, are you someone who allows the complaint contagion to grow and spread, or are you someone who speaks thankfulness and contentment into a conversation? Moses did not get everything he asked for. He told God to kill him off if the people were going to continue to complain. Now, God didn't give Moses what he wanted, right? Which is good, because Moses was able to continue leading, and he would have missed some of God's greatest blessings if he had just had God kill him off. God was gracious. He provided Moses with 70 elder men that were filled with his spirit to help him lead. A lesson for us as leaders, too, is Moses interceded for the people regardless of their complaints, and this resulted in the fire dying down earlier in the thing we talked about. Um, Moses could have let things continue just because he got to see the people learn their lesson, but Moses loved them through their complaining, and he still did what they needed to. Point number two is this. Complaining robs the future of blessing. Complaining robs the future of blessing. Go with me, please, to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14. If you remember, Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan to check out the land. The mission was not to determine whether or not they thought it was a good idea to go into the land, right? It was to check the land out, see, the, see how things were, and um, it became a matter of, should we do this or not? And what did they decide? They decided that they shouldn't, that is just too much. So I'll read for you Numbers uh, 13, 32 to 33. It's right there just before your, your section, but it gives us an idea of what the results of the spy trip. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height, and there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. All right, continue. Numbers 14, 1 and 2. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. 
The people raised a loud cry. They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Verses uh, three and four continue. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, in light of all they've been through, doesn't that sound pretty stupid? Let's, let's just go back to slavery. It was so much better there. They said that the Lord was bringing them into the land to die by the sword. They became irrational. They forgot God's promises. The, they rebelled against God's leadership. They said, we're going to pick a new leader and we're going to have him take us back to Egypt. When we look at verses 5 through 9, we see the response that Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb all had. They responded dramatically with the truth. Moses and Aaron, verse 5, fell on their faces. Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes, verse 6. Both delivered truth to the people's ears. Their hearts, their hearts were hard and their ears were deaf. Look at the people's response in verse 10. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So the people were murmuring and complaining against God's chosen leaders. They got stuck on what they knew and they misremembered from Egypt, right? And they were completely, they became completely unhinged. They misremembered the facts about Egypt and what God had done for them. Tragically enough, we'll see that God's judgment matched their ideas about what would happen to them in the wilderness. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. The people became irrational, as I mentioned before. They would not listen to the truth of God's promises delivered to them by their leaders. They were stuck in an emotional and a negative frame of mind. Look at the dramatic way that Moses, Aaron, Joshua, and Caleb communicated to them. It's not every day that the leaders tear their clothes or fall on their faces before the people. It would have been like, you know what? Why is he doing that? There's something going on here. I should probably pay attention. It was not enough, even with this dramatic communication, for them to open their ears and their hearts to God's promises. Continue with verses 11 and 12. Chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Moses interceded on behalf of the people. Verses 13 through 19. He prayed for the people and told God that if, hey, God, if you do this, what you're talking about, it's going to look like you weren't able to bring them into the land that you promised. And then your glory is going to be on the line. Okay, we, we don't understand here how Moses' prayer and God's will work together. But nonetheless, what did Moses do? Moses prayed for the people. God had just said, hey, I'll make a great nation out of you. I'm going to kill these guys off. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Do you suppose Moses was like, you know, let me deliberate about this for a second. Because these people are complaining. They've wanted to stone me. And... This would just be simpler. Um, but Moses still responded in prayer. He interceded for the people. They took stones up to stone him and Aaron. And you think about how they are just completely unhinged at this point when it's time to, um, time to do what God has wanted them to do. And that's go into the land and conquer it. Moses demonstrated great patience, compassion, and mercy in the face of great opposition. 
God's response is showed to us in verses 26 through 30. Verses 26 through 30. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, What you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dread or your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number, listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me. Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. All right, so we see here that God gave them what they said was going to happen, right? You are going to die in the wilderness. Your little ones are going to be the ones that get to see the promised land, but you're going to die right here. They'll experience the negative consequences of their sin. What their complaining did was it made it so they missed the blessings of the future. Verse 37 says that the men who brought the bad report of the land died by the plague. So to wrap up here, point number two, we need to spend time in God's word so that when other believers and leaders remind us of God's promises, we are ready to receive them and we don't think they sound crazy. Don't be consumed by your desires. Pray and hope in God's will, not yours. Pray and hope in God's will, not in your will. Remember what we said, be careful what you wish for? Grumbling and complaining breaks relationships. It leads to other negative consequences, and it makes it so you miss out on God's promises and his provisions when they're right in front of you. Number three, complaining compounds the problems of the present. Complaining compounds the problem, problems of the present. Numbers 20, Numbers 20 is where we're going to be next. Take a look at verse 2 with me, Numbers 20. Now there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. Is it a legitimate problem that you don't have water? Yes. So that nobody's going to argue that that's not a legitimate problem. But what was the next step that they did? They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. Verse 3 says, And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. The people quarreled with Moses and Aaron, which is not helpful. Not helpful. It doesn't help solve the problem. Verses four, or verse four, and then the first half of five. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Why have you, Moses, brought the people into the wilderness? Had they forgotten the the pillar of fire? Had they forgotten the cloud that had led them through this? Moses is the leader, yes, but had they forgotten this? When you start complaining, you also start to have memory loss. Verse 5b, it is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. So we're getting a little bit more at the, the cause here, the heart that's behind this. It's, there's, there's, there's no grain or figs or vines or pomegranates. Oh, and by the way, there's no water to drink either. All right, take a look with me at verse 13. We're gonna jump ahead just a little bit here in the passage. Take a look at verse 13. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. In their murmuring and complaining, they were quarreling with the Lord. So this is where the title of the sermon comes from today is when we murmur and complain, 
we're quarreling with God. When we realize that it is quarreling with God, I hope that it prompts a change in our behavior. You guys, uh, some of you guys may be familiar with the song, Just a Little Talk with Jesus. Yes? Does, does the title, Just a Little Quarrel with Jesus, have a little different ring to it? Something to consider. Moses and Aaron sought God, and he provided a solution for them. Verse 8, it tells us about that. Take your staff and speak to the rock. Take your staff and speak to the rock. Verse 10 Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. So in God's mercy, despite the people's complaining, water did come out of the rock. All of them had their needs provided for. Moses spoke to the people, and he struck the rock twice. Those, that's not what God had instructed him, right? So God said, take your staff and speak to the rock. Moses spoke to the people and struck the rock. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Moses' consequences happened because he did not believe in God and basically represent God as holy before the people. Moses and Aaron were held to a higher standard as leaders. They were careless in how they responded to God's command. They're to be examples of obedience in front of the people of what God had instructed them to do. Moses joined in the people's rebellion by not following what God had told him. If you look at... um, you don't have to turn there, but chapter 27, verse 14, God tells Moses that he rebelled against his word. And that's one of the reasons why he did not see the promised land. All right, let's look at uh, chapter 21, verse 5. Guess what? We've got more complaints about food. And the, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Here the people spoke against God and against Moses. They said they have no food and no water, and then they identify the food that they have as worthless food. Do you ever, like, open the fridge or say to your spouse, there is no food in the house? And actually, there probably is, but maybe you just don't want to eat that food. Well, that's what they were struggling with here, the the children of Israel, okay? When we are in a complaining and murmuring mode, we are often prone to exaggeration. They are dealing with the consequences of their time in the wilderness, aren't they? They have no food and they have no water, and they're basically struggling with the reason that they're in the wilderness. I want to take a minute to talk to our young people here. How many of you guys like everything that your parents put on your plate? Raise your hand. I see a couple. Okay, good for you. But do you know what? We don't always like the food. We don't always like leftovers. But the bottom line is this. You need to be thankful for the food that you're provided. You need to thank God for the food. You need to thank your parents for the food because it's good for you and it's what God has provided. So don't complain about your food. Thank God, thank your parents, and then offer to wash the dishes. So 
<laughs> so we talk about food a lot when it comes to the, the children of Israel. Is food the only thing we can complain about? No, there are, there's, you, this is an infinite amount of things that we can complain about. But there's also an infinite number of things that we can be thankful for and an infinite number of things that we can be content about. Worthless food, the phrase worthless food is barely out of their lips in verse five, and then look at verse six. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. In verse seven, the people too late realized that the consequences of their complaining and their ungrateful spirit was going to be a problem for them. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he will take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Again, Moses did the right thing. Were they getting what they deserved in Moses' mind? Yeah. But Moses interceded for the people complaining again. Despite how they'd been speaking against him just a few verses earlier and what uh, they'd said about God verses earlier too. So God provided a way of escape for the guilty parties. Verses 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Despite the sin of the people, what did God do? God provided a way of escape for them. So in his mercy, he still saw to take care of them and give them a way that they could take care of their problem of complaining and murmuring. In John 3, 14 and 15, the, this incident is connected with Jesus Christ's death and his being put on the cross for our sin as a way of escape. There's that connection drawn in John. I'm thankful that God has given us an escape for our sins, including the sin that we're talking about today, whether it's complaining, murmuring, having a discontent attitude or spirit. When we look to Jesus Christ and his death for us, in salvation for our sins. We're granted forgiveness and we're also granted eternal life with God in heaven when this earthly life is over. So what should stick in our minds from this, from this passage and these two incidents? What is important is that God um, listened to Moses and Aaron's intercession for the people, regardless of their attitudes and their rebellion. Uh, leaders are held to a higher standard and God holds them accountable for their actions. When we complain about God's provision, we're quarreling with him about what is good for us. I'm reminded of Paul's talking with God about the thorn in his flesh. He prayed about it, and God did not deliver him from that. He prayed about it those three times, and when we think about God's response to him, Paul's attitude was the thing that changed. His attitude and his heart changed with that in perspective to his problem. And uh, so for Paul to continue complaining to people about whatever that problem was that he had, that would have been him quarreling with God. And uh, so we can learn from Paul in these different things that we feel like we want God to take out of our lives, remove from our lives. And it is just not the way that it works. It's quarreling with God if we, if we take it to the point of complaining about it. We talked earlier about complaining in the earshot of God. We know we may as well be complaining with him. And as it says in verse three, and the title of our sermon is that we're quarreling with God and the circumstances that he has us in. 
there is a means of escape for us, and that is Jesus Christ. He gives us our salvation from our sins, and as I said, we should all be thankful for that this morning. Forgiveness for murmuring and complaining is available always. Jesus' death covers our sins. God is waiting and ready for us to make a fresh start and walk in a thankful and grateful spirit. Our scripture reading for today included these three verses. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Complaining is not a part of this list. When we rejoice always, we pray about what's bothering us and give thanks in all circumstances, we are in a good position to give God the glory for what's going on in our lives. Our big idea for today again is a complaining spirit focuses on self, thankfulness and contentment glorify God. To conclude this, this morning, the important truths that we need for today are grumbling and complaining are sinful and they result in negative consequences. Grumbling and complaining reflect an attitude of discontentment with God's provision for your life. Complaints are suffocated by a grateful and content heart. This glorifies God and his plan. Complaining hinders leadership's ability to accomplish the mission that God has given them. As you shepherd people in various capacities, I mentioned those earlier, whether you are, are teaching in Sunday school, whether you help with Awana and youth group, um, if you're a deacon, if you are a grandparent, it, you know, all these different ways that we actually shepherd people under our care, we have to remember that we need to be patient, we need to pray for them, and we also need to understand and meet that higher expectation that God has given to us. Numbers 27, 15 through 17, you don't need to turn there. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation. This is right before his death. Who shall go out before them and come in before them? Who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd? Moses is about to die. And what's one of his last concerns? He's concerned about these people not having a shepherd. So we see his shepherd heart all the way through this. There's some times of forgetfulness. There's some times of, of discontent in Moses' life. But at the end of his life, he says, God, I, these people need a shepherd. So I would challenge you guys to think as you teach, as you help little ones grow, as you disciple, remember that they need a shepherd and that, that that's what God has for you in your life is helping them as they learn and grow. Despite all the Israelites have complained about Moses and how they treated him poorly, he still had an unending love and a desire for God's people to not be left without a shepherd. A couple questions to wrap things up. Is what you're complaining about something that God would complain about or take offense with? Is what you're complaining about something that God would complain about, put that in air quotes, or take offense with? Is it merely that things are unacceptable or unsatisfactory in your own view? Is what you're complaining about a result of your sinful actions? We, don't, we never like the results of our sin, right? But is what you're complaining about a result of your sinful action, actions or a consequence? What if you talked with God about your complaints before you open your mouth to other people? Would that change your view on the unacceptable nature or the unsatisfactory nature of the circumstance that you find yourself in? So I challenge us as a church to think about our words. Are the words that we are about to say God-centered or self-centered? Do we desire what God desires or are we stuck on our own desires? 
A complaining spirit focuses on self, thankfulness and contentment glorify God. Let's close in prayer. Dearly Father, we are um, just thankful for your word and how you direct us about our mouths and what is acceptable, what's unacceptable. Lord, I pray that we would glorify you with our words. I pray that we would be content in our hearts, that we'd be thankful and we would demonstrate gratitude and give you the glory for all these different things that you have blessed us with in our life. And so, Lord, as we leave today, I pray that we would think carefully about our words and that we would trust you with the circumstances in our life. We just lift these things up. We ask them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.